0: 1.37 p.m.'s Live from the Bar Cart, a look into the style, culture, strength, and grind of the modern-day man.
1: Hey, this is Live from the Bar Cart. I'm Corbin Goble for 1.37 p.m., and today I'm joined by Michael Lestoria, who is the CEO and co-founder of And Pizza, you know, a pizza chain company franchise that's uh, growing in, you know, in New York and all over the country, so... Uh, We're going to talk a little bit today about just how you got to where you are, your background, where you came from. So, you know, if if we're going through the origin story, where's the place to start?
0: Yeah, so I usually start in a small country town, 60 miles south of Buffalo, New York. And so small that, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's actually called a hamlet. Right. uh, Which just means that there's no real governing body, you know, to that particular area. So you actually kind of report into a town, very weird, but under 500 people, one flashing light, one bar, Went to the same building from kindergarten through 12th grade. High school graduating class, 35 people. Couldn't field a football team. Football is my favorite sport. Oh, no. Yes. (laughs) Are you an Eagles fan or what? You are Bills. So so ironically, mom and dad and both sets of grandparents grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Gotcha. So I inherited all Cleveland sports. Got it. Otherwise, it would be Buffalo, but I'm not sure that's any better.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. I just, you know, Western New York, it's like, I'm not sure. You know, it could be Eagles, could be Bills. It could. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: it could. So um, what is someone who, you know, sort of has aspirations to get uh, to another place, right, outside of where I grew up? Because really there was not a whole lot to do. You'd literally either have to become, you know, a teacher, a farmer, or work in local salt factory. Right. So that just, that wasn't really for me. And uh, so I moved to New York City um, as quick as I possibly could, right? Going to the exact opposite place of a small rural town, which is the city. And uh, about six weeks into being in New York, launched my first business, which was wild. But for me, it was super simple because the opposite of that was go back to where you're from. Right. And like there was no such thing as failure because I didn't have any type of a platform to really... Fail off of it. it
1: was like it was all right. upside, right? Right, and so what was that? What was that first startup? Yeah, it was and... really
0: wild. Um, I was actually in the backseat of a taxi cab, and where they used to have a map of New York City sort of wedged in between two pieces of Lexon plastic, uh, I saw someone jam a business card in there, and I'm sitting there looking at the subway map, looking at this dude I was with who became my you know first business partner. I'm like, we both kind of look at each other like, there's a moment, like, why yeah. can't we just? create this new wave of taxicab advertising we're putting static print ads in the backseat of taxi cabs so that was the big idea you know long story short that really didn't work but it, it it got some traction we launched it in five different markets we were right up to the finish line in new york city but then clear channel came over the top with taxi cab tvs so we were kind of like the old school trying to be the yeah. new school and then getting just out muscled and, yeah. and, and outspent uh, right. By what well, technically was a better product anyway, right? Depending on how you feel about you know TVs and yeah, the, the cabs. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it got me going, right? It got me going. It got me hustling. It got me thinking about how to put together a business, how to grow a company, and ev- eventually transitioned the you know out of home media, which is taxicab advertising, to digital media. Right. And was able to build a, a company that was really acquiring customers for businesses. And in under four years, uh, it went from zero to about twenty-five million dollars in in top line, about six and a half million dollars in profit, and sold it to a private equity group called Seaport Capital, based here in New York City. So it was it was a super wild run because for right. me it was like pretty much getting my my MBA yeah. um, and all the experience that I need in terms of starting a company with nothing, starting it with the business partner who I had met three weeks before we actually started the company, right. going from an idea of what the business is going to become to something completely different, and then the thing that it wasn't going to be actually working, building (laughs) it, scaling it to over 100 people and the revenue and profit I talked about, super wild.
1: Right, yeah. That's... that's incredible I mean you said this is your third startup and yeah, pizza so yeah. what was the second one and what was the through line from you had this experience you got really close you had an idea that people had there was some energy there was kind of an unfortunate timing and technological element sure. to it so what, what was kind of the through line to the next startup and maybe then like how did that become and pizza yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: so I, I think you know one of the threads for me has always been a little bit more personality driven. Right. Like when I wake up, I've always sort of seen the world a little bit differently. Sure. Um, Wasn't great in school because I really didn't love being told, you know, what I need to learn without understanding why I need to learn it or actually how that's going to be applicable to my life and what I want to do. And so for me, it was always just looking at the world from a different lens, seeing things that I didn't necessarily think made a lot of sense or just things that were missing. And then you know, being fearless enough to go out and try to create some type of solution to the problem that's broken, or to the you know, to the thing that doesn't exist. Right. And uh, in, in, in being you know unashamed and having a tremendous amount of confidence and discipline that I'm gonna figure it out, come hell or high water. And if I don't that's not actually going to be a reflection of who I am as a person. I think that's one of the biggest things that gets people mucked up in entrepreneurship is that they become the very thing that they're trying to create as opposed to like, no, that's your job. Like that's what you do for work. Now it can be all consuming, but I know a lot of amazing people that have uh, started off with a great idea didn't make it work in the business world, failed, technically speaking, and are amazing people, some of yes. my best friends. So it's just like, that means nothing about who they are, like whether they can right. accomplish gold or not. But that's that's one of the things that's been important to me.
1: You didn't take it personal, basically. You were able to, you know, I think something that's really important talking to successful people is compartmentalizing, being able to sort of, you know, step out of something, which, sure. which is hard, depends what it is. You know, if you're making music or art, it's hard to separate it. But Uh, there's just a lot of layers to that, I guess. And and I
0: guess, of course, we all know that the opposite side of it is the person that did have a tremendous amount of success and they think that they're something they probably aren't because of that success. Right. So it's kind of like on both sides with failure, like you want to be able to distance yourself. You're an individual outside of that thing. But with success,
1: like, the same thing applies yeah, you to be which, self-aware too yeah life, which like, is hard again that's hard on that side right too. like
0: chill like yeah we all know you you succeeded but chill out on that like, yeah i want to yeah. know a little bit more about <laughs> who you are as a person so i think that's important as well
1: cool yeah you you kind of mentioned you know personality and and sort of looking at the world a different way you know what were you passionate about when you're younger that you're still passionate about or, or is there something that take me back to when you were 22 like what did you really care about and like what was you know growing up what were the things you were really passionate about well,
0: for me, it was, it was achievement in the world and just getting out of, you know, the sort of four walls or yeah, you know, getting the, out of the hamlet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getting out of the neighborhood I grew yeah. up in that, that to me was the, the mark of success was just going out there and then trying it in the biggest possible, you know, pond right. or one of the biggest ponds, right. In the world, in New York city. And, um, and that, and that was really everything to me. Uh, in addition to that, Money was a huge, huge motivator because when you grow up not having a lot, and I was very comfortable. I mean, was very middle class and had an amazing life, and I could ride, you know, my skateboard or my my BMX all over. Had no, it was just super easy living growing up, right? Because there's nothing bad that can happen in this like such a small place. But it really was it was about you know financial and monetary success and actually becoming something and doing something that was very different than what I experienced growing up, and that was everything. And the funny thing about that is. I remember the day after, you know, selling my first business, it being one of the most confusing times in my life because I had put so much stock in an outcome. Yeah. And when that outcome happened, it was wildly underwhelming. Right. Like, sure, like on the monetary side, like really good and felt really good and I could do things I could never do before. But like it did not. Yeah, give me what I thought it was going to give me in terms of that sort of internal... Right, there wasn't a resolution, really. No, there was no resolution. It was actually anything. It was just like, wait, I just spent all this time in building something for this outcome and I got like a fraction of what I thought I was getting. Right, totally. Yeah. And and on on top of that, now I'm reporting to a private equity group. Right. So So you uh, can imagine like this kid who's got like some business experience. Now you're learning all about like corporate governance and fiduciary responsibility right. and like reporting into a professional board. And oh, by the way, like you're an employee of the very thing that you created Yes, yeah. and you're governed by an employment contract. Yeah. So right. like the world has changed and now you're reporting to a group of people that are yeah. asking you to do X or do Y. And you might not necessarily think that's the right thing to do, but guess what? It's their company now. Yeah, totally. So there, there also is a, a, um, a side of, of selling your business and, and the success that can come financially of the recognition that you no longer own that business right, and that right. things are going to change whether you want them to or not. So I think a lot of people going into the other side of I want to build and sell something recognize yeah. like, it's it's complicated.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, it's uh, you know something you know if you read about Ann Pizza uh, wherever you choose to read about it, it it's uh, it's so interesting because you you see investment money and you see this sort of like uh, uh, there's some these retail elements to it that you don't necessarily read when you know you're reading about the local pizza chain. You don't really see that. So I'd be curious when, when you took it over to Pizza, you've kind of mentioned hey, you know you want to be really really careful about where you get your money, where it comes from, who you're reporting to. Uh, yeah, walk me through maybe like a moment early on. When you're kind of exploring the pizza space, and what was your north star in the early days of this business, and yeah. then how did you de- kind of decide to build the the way you did, which is you know novel, and there there's a reason it's been so successful. You know where did you see the opportunity? What were the thing you were focusing on, and how did you how did you kind of make that happen?
0: Of course. Yeah. So the the segue kind of from the first business day in pizza was an ad agency that I co-founded with uh, one of my best friends, Doug Jacob. Uh, we actually sold last year to a large Japanese beauty brand, Shiseido. And that was a wild time, of course, selling a company to a Japanese company. Right. And that's another long story, probably not for today. But that was where I kind of fell into this love of brand building. Right. And like creating, you know, a look, a feel, an aesthetic, a culture, a set of values that was distinct, that was different, that reflected, you know, the DNA of the founders or the leadership team. Uh and and in doing that and doing amazing work, I, I had a chance to work on so many really cool and different brands in all different categories. You know, fell in love with this notion of, gosh, maybe I should be coming up with or creating or building a company that was really a reflection of who I was as a human being, not doing it for the dollars, um, but doing it because I wanted to put my heart and my soul, my life force into something and do it for the people that would come work for the company and this bigger vision and, and the, the irony behind and pizza, I'm so glad that you actually pronounce it the right way. Cause most people don't cause yeah. a weird is a weird name. Like it's, yeah, yeah. it's out there. And the idea was leading with a symbol, the ampersand um, that means something and to us. The ampersand stands for promoting unity and connectedness and this notion in a sort of country nation world. That's becoming increasingly more you know divided and or polarized um, of, of really creating a company that was about bringing people together, lifting up the lowest wage workers in the country, developing all of our leaders internally, really democratizing the decision-making in the company and building this movement of people that all have a similar purpose or passion and want to get behind it and doing it with a, a business that's super approachable, we sell pizza. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's for, like I can teach anyone how to make a pizza how to sell a pizza that's the really cool thing it's not about the skill set it's about the personality right. the style and the belief around what we're trying to do as a group of people right
1: yeah and, and I'm kind of curious you know I think uh, the the best American companies make stuff uh, you know coming from in, and I'm not saying advertising or branding having my own experiences like not you're not making stuff but you're kind of in this weird kind of gray area like what you know you you have this digital experience you know advertising what you know what did you learn from that that kind of sold you on the fact that like you wanted to get into something like a pizza chain yeah, you man, know? I, I there's wanted, so much competition yeah. too like yeah. yeah how did you approach that and you know when did you decide and what was the moment where you're like pizza this is it
0: well I- this is going to sound a little cheesy, but I really wanted to to create something. You like that cheesy pizza? Yeah, yeah it's really That good, I could yeah. sink my teeth into. Another cheesy thing. <laughs> yeah, right But that, that was the idea, which is like you know, when you're in the service business, it, it can feel good because you're servicing your clients. At the end of the day, though, sometimes your employees and the company ends up um, becoming a, a second thought. Yeah. Right. Because all of your energy is going towards this thing that's not really inside, but it's someone else's and someone else is going to own it, live with it and do with it what they ultimately may want to. And and that means you can only take it so far. Right. And I wanted to get into something I could literally from the ground up, do it, you know, my way, what I felt like was the right way, was the right way for the people coming to do it with me, regardless of the outcome of the business itself. Yeah. And so literally packed my bags because uh, I wanted to also figure out a place to do it. And, you know, to do pizza, and when you get to know the world of Ann Pizza, it's a little bit wacky. It's definitely different. Um, I wasn't ready to do it in New York City because it's super expensive. Yeah. There's a lot of competition. Yeah, uh, It's probably the pizza, you know, mecca of the world. Right. At least and, pizza, good pizza, yeah, availability Yeah, good, good mecca, pizza, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think one of the things I've learned about building a company the right way, especially if you want to, you know, put a lot into people culture is that, it has to organically evolve, right? Right, like the thing that you may set out to do, you have to allow it to change, to to elevate. And so, I moved to Washington D.C. I wanted to be in at least the Mid Atlantic Northeast, close enough to New York. And I found this really sort of raw neighborhood, H Street Northeast. Uh, you couldn't find a Starbucks around. We we're paying three thousand dollars a month for an old, dilapidated building that used to be a Chinese restaurant. And I was like, "This is it." Yeah. Right. There were some cool bars, a lot of cool people. Uh, it kind of reminded me of, you know, if, if you know, Williamsburg and, and Harlem had a baby in Washington, D.C., yeah, it would be this totally, strip. Totally. Right. Just really interesting people. People have been there for 50 years. Right. And people that were there for five months. Yeah. So that's where we opened up the first pizza shop. But because we had virtually no overhead, we were allowed to make decisions about the food that we served, the ingredients that we sourced, how we priced the pizza, unlimited toppings. Right. Every pizza is personal. So they're about 16 and a half inches long by you know, six and a half inches wide, but anything you wanted. Yeah. You know, gourmet ingredients on a pie for a fixed price at the time was about, you know, $8.50. And people fell in love with it because it was priced right. There was a ton of value and we were doing a lot of community work and we were taking care of our people. We're paying a living wage and that's yeah. been a big thing we've been
1: fighting. And you keep those margins pretty high, especially it, it, the rent's pretty oh, low. Yeah. And
0: yeah, yeah. and it was, a, I mean, it, yeah. economically it was a disaster right. in the first year, but <laughs> yeah. because of the volume and the support, it ultimately, there was enough top line revenue to make it work and over right. the years, we've fixed a lot of things that were broken, but the business literally succeeded because we did the right thing by our people, And we did the right thing by the community that we were serving. And that was the magic sauce of, like, why we exist today. We have about 35 company-owned pizza shops. We're in Virginia, D.C., Maryland, Philly, New York. Uh, We're opening up in Boston here in a bit. We're in Miami, which we we opened up in Miami in a really cool and different way we can talk about. More on a tech play side. But the company is wild, man. We have uh, our employee base is called a tribe. Um, Over 20% have our brand logo tattooed on them, which is super cool. Tell
1: me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was just cuz you know there's there's you know there's a fine line yeah. with people branding themselves. Yeah. Uh just yeah, explain the yeah. sort of philosophy and ideology behind that. I think it comes from a really cool organic place, but that's something that always sticks out when you're reading yeah, about a company.
0: Yeah, people mixed reactions from a lot of people, but for us it was organic. It was a kid when we had one pizza shop who was just fell in love with the fact that I'm working for a company that treats me like a human being that believes in my abilities, my God-given abilities, and is willing to invest time, resources to develop me into a leader and just had never been somewhere where he truly felt appreciated uh, and supported. Yeah. And as a result of that, wanted the brand logo tattoo. And he was like, hey, can I do it? And I was like, I, "That's I, my initial reaction is kind of weird. Yeah, right. Like, I, I don't have one. Like, do you really want to do this? He's like, yeah. And then he told me the whole story. And I was like, you know what? I'll go with you and I'll pay for it. And that became a thing where then people started coming up to me saying, hey, I'd like to get one as well. Got it. Will you pay for it? Now we have a thing where basically, you know, once a quarter, you know, we'll survey and people will sign up. And actually at every shop opening up until I think the 30th, we would end up tattooing guests for free pizza for a year. So it became this like wild thing. Now, how I feel like I can sleep at night in the event that someone leaves the company and has the logo tattooed, two things. Number one, it's an ampersand. Yeah. And number two, they're doing it because of what the symbol means. That means something different to every single person. But what it means to us is something that can be shared outside of the pizza side of it. So it's not just like our brand, it's more of a message that's holistic that can apply to anybody, anywhere, whether you're here working for the company or you're working for another company down the road. It's totally cool. Totally.
1: Yeah, and and, and I kind of we can talk about the Miami and the tech side, and I, I know Ann Pizza is v- being like very forward thinking in that space, and like how to sort of approach that. And uh, we kind of talked before we were, we started rolling about how it's so important to find people where they want to be found, you know, whether it's text message or Instagram or whatever, you have to be really conscious of that, which is cool. But I, you know, I think the the ampersand itself, it's definitely weird, but it seems like there was kind of a critical point where you decided we got to lean into this. And this is like, this culture is what this represents this culture. And we can't, you know, pull back and stay in the middle because then it's like, you know, then you might just be another pizza shop that has like, Everyone has kind of a mission statement, but it's like, how did you, when did you decide that was really the, where the energy of the company or like an important part of the company, you know, that you wanted to really double down on and, and how did you know or yeah, what w- did you just guess? <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, I had an idea kind of going in, but, you know, in the in the restaurant or food service industry... Um, an interesting fact is that the food service industry employs ten percent of America's workforce. So part of the thesis around this was if I can enact change, if I can convince other companies that you can pay, you know, a living wage or close to it, you can invest in more modern version of benefits like, you know, transportation and, and paid time off to go voting and things like that that people can really get behind and develop leaders internally, and you can have, you know, best in class profits. Getting everybody else on that bandwagon because there's this thing called the American pizza community. It's like the pizza lobbying group. They spend millions and millions of dollars a year keeping the minimum wage low, keeping nutritional information off of menus. Right. And the National Restaurant Association, they're not big fans of increasing the wage or doing the kind of things that I feel like it's 2018. Like, wh- why is this a conversation? Right, right. Like $7.25. We all recognize that in a lot of places, that doesn't go very far even fifteen dollars in, in places like New York is not not easy so it's just it's just this notion of like let's get to the other side let's be on the right side of the movement and my way of doing it outside of me personally, you know, fighting on Capitol Hill and I introduced the last uh, Raise the Wage Act with Senator Sanders, Pelosi and Schumer to increase the federal minimum wage is just about building a, a case study I can give to other businesses and say, look, like there's a way to turn wage into something really powerful for your organization. There's a way to turn benefits or development or, you know, branding culture. So anyway, back to where we started was, you know, our, our culture was always the sum of its ingredients. Ingredients are its people. So starting off with this notion of doing right by them is how we're going to either sink or swim in this particular business. And it's the one thing that's given me back the most amount of inspiration and motivation as a leader to do different things and consistently invest in new and different ways to truly democratize decision-making, how we think about growth in every decision the company makes. But it was all about diving in head first and just trying it yeah, and being okay with it not working. That kind of gets back to like right. this business, the entire thing, it was not about, you know, making a quick buck or building an empire was about,
1: entire thing was a case study. Yeah, I was going to say, what was, you know, just in black and white terms, what was the economic cost to you and how did you visualize, say, you know, I'm paying people more than uh, Pizza Hut or, yeah. or whatever, like, what was the other side of that coin? Like, it's clearly there's going to be more overhead and how do you sort of, how did you sort of visualize that and what was your sort of runway and your pathway forward, did you think? Like, what if it didn't work? You know, you know the, you
0: the, I think that that's kind of a lot of advice that I give to entrepreneurs, is this company has given me the most amount of satisfaction of any, well, the other two businesses or anything else I've invested in or or, or or, you know, been a part of because I was willing to go all out, right. be sort of fearlessly weird with ambition and ideas that were different, but that really were a reflection of who I was as a person. Like I tell a lot of people, the world doesn't need your version of someone else's idea. Right. Like what the world needs, it needs your personality in the form of a product or a service offer. It needs you. Right. And I think that's why I love founder led companies because oftentimes they're carrying the vision and the torch that lights the business up and makes it work because that's what people are following, because that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a leader that's deeply human, that has humanity, that has a strong point of view. And that's why it all comes together. What right. I hate is the the sort of copycat businesses that exist and they're, 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 hundreds of them that open up every week in right. the restaurant business or food service right. and you it's know like every, an opportunistic thing yeah like it's, purely, it's, yeah, it's yeah, rough because yeah. you know how does that really feel like when you're ripping off someone else's stuff that can't feel really good inside and if you only care about a dollar well maybe that's fine with you but like I just don't think that's the future of entrepreneurship is really digging down deep inside and finding that very thing that makes you special and giving that to the world in some way shape or form that to me is going to be the way to do it the Greatest businesses yeah. are going to actually be a reflection of those people involved. And that really is where real innovation lies.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I guess, you know, you kind of got into if you're an entrepreneur starting out. Actually, I'd love to talk about sort of you mentioned Miami. And then I wanted to talk about like taking on. Uh, investment and then what you know what's next for this company just i think something that sort of a myth about raising like venture capital money is that a ton is good the highest number is good because then you're there's a lot of things that go on it's uh, maybe sometimes it's actually good to take Optically, it's always good. It's a coup for a company to raise, say, "Hey, we raised two hundred million dollars or whatever." But sometimes it's better to raise two million, one million. It kind of all depends. You have to really be smart about that because, you know, that money is you, you have to you have to spend it. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, you yeah can't, of course. It's not like yeah. you're just putting it in a coffer somewhere. I'm like, all right, we're going to be around for a while. We have this money. You're thinking about growing this business. You're thinking about the future of the business. How did you decide? And was there anybody that you really listened to or read, or what was something you really, you know, pointed to? Or was it just your gut?
0: No, I mean, I have, you know, it wasn't until Ann Pizza that I really had my first sort of mentor-mentee relationship. That's, And I, I recommend that to anybody, which is find whoever it is that you think is interesting or inspiring or successful and just reach out to them. Right. And if you do it in a way that's not, like, silly, like if you actually ask a real question or you show real intent or interest and you're willing to listen, people are willing to talk. Right. You know, like you totally. can get, you can get anybody onto a podcast or anybody on yeah. the air and people love to share, you know, yeah, their tell the story of what they do. Of course yeah, they you know, do. Yeah, yeah. So like, that's the easiest way to get a mentor yep. is just like approach it, ask questions, get answers, and then just keep at it. Yep. Uh, you, these people will help you out in tremendous ways. But um, on, on the capital side, like I think one of the biggest things. Oh, is, who
1: who is your me- who is your mentor and who do, who is that person for you?
0: So so now I actually have a, a couple of them. the, the first one uh, at Ampizza, Pizza was this guy Eddie Alberti, and he was like the founding you know CEO of Staples, you know just an incredible operator, but you know taught me a lot about growth, scale, humanity, and uh, and how to do the right thing um, for you know all aspects of the business, which has been pretty cool. But on the on the fundraising side, I think it's it's be careful. Like what I often tell people is if you don't need to raise money early on, don't. Yeah. Because you're much better raising money when you have a clear vision of what this thing's going to be and how you're going to scale it and the money that you're bringing in is for the actual scale itself. Like the money to raise to figure it out is always going to come with a lot of complication because I'm sure the investor has a very different expectation of, What they're investing in, if this thing changes three or four times, and then, oh, by the way, you're ready, like that can lead to really tough relationships and a lot of tough conversations. So when you know what you're doing and it's about fulfilling an order or scaling up a business, go raise money hard and fast and from people that fundamentally believe in what that scale looks like. If it's earlier on than that, take as little as humanly possible or those that just are going to be inherently flexible and are investing maybe in you as a person versus what it is. Because that can cause a lot of conflict. I, mean, I have had early stage conflict with Ann Pizza and you know an investor where I thought I was ready to, you know, yeah, yeah, to to, to go, to the, yeah, to, to, go yeah, to the moon, yeah, to go to the moon, and it was totally. you know the reality is it took you know probably two three years thereafter before the company had the right foundation and and a clear enough vision for how we were going to do it and what the right way to do it was, and and that wasn't easy because they had expectations of a company that was going to grow a heck of a lot faster than it actually did. And 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 now there's definitely more alignment, but that, you know, that was a good lesson of like, you know what, probably too much money too early on without a clear path to execution. And uh, I wouldn't do that again.
1: Totally. So yeah, tell me about Miami. What's going on? So Miami, Miami,
0: yeah. So one of the things that we're doing is and I think in any industry, like in, in another sort of tidbit of advice is I I'm I'm a big believer either going like super, super, super high tech, um, And and disrupting that way or going the opposite direction, right? Which is like pizza or burgers, Right, right, right? Right. Or widgets. Yeah, um, I
1: mean, and I'm just thinking about there was this. Um, it was that. Was that David Chang, the local in Oakland, and you know that kind of a similar the burger spot. Oh yeah, D- that, that wasn't him, but different. Uh, yeah. No, it was. Um, who was it? It was Roy Choi, right? Yeah, not that's right. Chang. Yeah. Um, but that was interesting, just because they have a similar philosophy to you, but it didn't quite work. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to why. Why did that not work as well as and pizza? Was it a market thing? Was it like a? Yeah. yeah what, I don't you know? know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: you know, one of the things that that I felt like was when you learn probably too much about a business too early on that might have been a lot of hype without the actual like substance or sizzle being there like right. there's a lot of people that didn't know about Ann Pizza until we had you know 20 30, there's a lot of people today that don't know about Ann Pizza Right, we have 35 locations so right. it's t- to me it's more about making sure that you're not selling the sizzle like, too premature and yeah. that like the actual proof of concept before you go to the press and say, "Talk about this like it's working." Right. Open up a restaurant, like make it catch fire, like in all the right yeah. ways, and then open up a second one, and yes, then open yeah. up a third one, and then see if if people are actually going to take it. The similar thing happened to Itza. I don't right, know if you've been familiar right. with yeah, Itza, it was sure. a really high tech experience, but they didn't get the food right, and they right. scaled. I think. In too many markets too quickly versus just spending time in that single location and yeah, getting it right. And something about Ann Pizza is all the locations
1: are pretty personalized. Yeah, they're different. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: it's got it's got its whole thing. Yeah. But um, what I mean, kind of going, you know, kind of going downstream in, in something that's been done before and kind of disrupting it, or reinventing it. Like there's not a lot. I mean, yes, there's a lot of competition in pizza, but there aren't a lot of people with entrepreneur experience that are trying to get into the pizza space. A lot in food service is chasing the healthier end of it. Right. And while our pizza is certainly healthier than what you'd find in like big pizza or big pizza chains, it's still pizza. Yeah. Right. It's going to have higher calories and uh, it's not going to be something you want to consume seven days a week, unless you're me. I eat pizza probably five days a week, but there's something interesting in, in, in going, you know, down market or downstream to companies that you know have been around for decades and decades and decades, and reimagining what that can be. Like for us, we design pizza shops that look nothing like pizza shops. Yeah. Right. Heavy, high contrast, black and white, loud music. Everyone's designed differently to reflect the vibe and style of the neighborhoods. A lot goes into it, right? You had to, add, you know, initially you had to queue up in a line like you would a Chipotle or a Sweetgreen, yeah, right. and that's how we made the pizza. Now a lot of our business comes through order ahead and through delivery. Uh, that's a very different way to actually consume pizza. The fact that it looks more like a flatbread than it does a circular pizza. And the fact that we have ingredients like Mike's hot honey out of Brooklyn, you know, to all kinds of just like funky and you know off the beaten path things that that people aren't used to consuming. We also have the traditional stuff. So we were willing to, you know, we were willing to design brand style. Um, and create something that I felt like was more inspirational to a certain group of people to get them in versus just like it's another pizza shop. And there's a lot of risk in that, right? Totally, Miami, Miami. I keep, it's my yeah. fault for uh, whaling. No, nah, I, know, do, yeah, I do the to, same like,
1: thing. Uh, go to the cosmic uh, food discussion. Yeah, I so Miami. It, I guess yeah, Miami. Tell me about Miami. So
0: yeah, b- back to this notion of, uh, of so how do you really change the game as it relates to being a pizza company? Well, number one, building like brick and mortar is not easy. And, you know, real estate prices are, are are increasingly more expensive. Now you can argue market to market, like there's going to be a pullback like you've seen in New York and other large markets, but we want to be able to grow quicker, faster. And so we're leveraging, actually partnering with the, the company out of Silicon Valley that, that does something really cool. Um, can't announce just yet, but like we're looking at every way that we can hack our way towards being a bigger company. Like, you know, Ghost kitchens or cloud kitchens, where it's you know just a commissary that sits there. It's not customer facing, right? right. But works for the Uber Eats or the Caviar's, where they can come gotcha, to your location, gotcha. pick up your pizza. Because yeah, your...
1: Seamless has a lot, does a lot of that, like ghost kitchen. Kind of yeah, right, yeah. Right, so, yeah.
0: So, we what we did in Miami is we, you know, I don't know if anyone done that. We we applied that to food trucks. So now we have these roaming, mobile commissaries that aren't actually customer facing, and we're leveraging data from Uber. And then we're compiling our own data that tells us like this is the intersection that you have the highest chance of selling the most amount of pizza and then going and putting the truck there and then testing that out and then going, you know, so you could literally be on, you know. Second and sixth from twelve to two, and then you could be on you know eighth and, and end from you know six to eight, et cetera, et cetera. So it's moving, it's roaming, and, and then and you ser- you serve out of there. You said not customer not facing, not okay, all, gotcha. all for so, delivery.
1: All for okay, gotcha. gotcha.
0: All for delivery. Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's the same thing of like a, a ghost kitchen that no yeah. one actually but it's sees. on wheels. Yeah, yeah, it's on wheels, yeah. so you can move it. So think about the lowest cost. I could do that for you know seventy five thousand dollars a truck. Just just you know which it would cost me $750,000 to open up a restaurant. Right. Now I'm I'm grabbing all this data that tells me where I'm going to be able to sell the most amount of pizza. And what that enables then is me to go build an actual brick-and-mortar and pizza because I have data that says, okay, this part of South Florida is better than this part of South Florida, so this is where we want an actual physical location. You got it. Doing crazy things like that, we're rolling out text-to-order. We actually have a, a character that we've created called the Pizza Plug. You know, like the sneaker plug. Only he knows all things yeah, pizza. It's the 2018 version of the Noid, basically. <laughs> Wait, you wanted to
1: avoid the Noid, but yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. More posi- gotcha. The yeah.
0: Noid was a little more culturally connected. Yeah, exactly. Right? The Noid became a high beast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. So <laughs> yeah. So that—that's the idea. Kids, you know? Listen. Yeah. All right. I like that. I didn't, yeah. No one's compared that
1: yet. Yeah, I mean, now you got to go back into the archives to remember the Noid. I know Cal knows the Noids. So. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. The big thumbs up.
0: Yeah. So we, um, so basically, we do one to one, you know, messaging. So all of our guests and all of our employees, tribe members, we communicate with them daily. We have it staffed almost twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. So you just text us, and and on the employee side, it's everything from the music that they you know want to listen to, right. to the clothing you want to wear, to any ideas on ingredients or or, or things that we could do better. And we literally have anywhere from you know, 15 to 100 conversations a day with people inside the organization just chatting with us about ways that we can improve. And we send out surveys and we do everything possible to basically make everyone in the company part of the decision-making process. But then our guests as well, all of our customer service, you don't call us, you text us. Right. And it's, it's a much better form of communication because if you give someone a chance to email like you're going to find a whole different part of that person's personality versus texting, where it's just like, it's got to be short and sweet. And then by the way, someone's going to be on the other end and it's a human being, right. That has a personality that, you know, it's just a lot easier to, to, to get people to, you know, chill out a little bit, engage in a conversation and get to the core of what they're actually looking for versus allowing, you know, very, very, very long email that can be super emotional, but not necessarily as practical to get to the core of like, well, how can we help you? How can we fix this? How can we make this better?
1: Yeah, totally. No, I th- I feel like a lot of uh, you know, this is uh, the era of when people are like, oh, how do how do we use crypto for retail? How do we use crypto for food service? A lot of a lot of what. I, I think people are trying to do in, in crypto is like we want to collect people's data, but only the data they want to give us. Yep. And and in a way that like we can know them better, but we might not ever meet in person. You know, we're only going to really meet digitally, but how can you sort of like ensure that we're getting, ever, both people are comfortable, yeah. and both people feel like they're, they're served, sort of like how do you lift both people? And I think that's an interesting question because I'm not sure if pe- anyone's really quite solved that yet just because I think there's a lot of sensitivity bound around data right now because everyone, you know, all the big companies have it, and we don't really know what they have. And every time, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a loaded question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, for for, sure. for us, we don't look at data necessarily
0: as, of course, the more data you get, the smarter you can become. But we're not leveraging it to try to you know, zap your phone when you're, you know, <laughs> three blocks from Ann pizza <laughs> to remind you that we have pizza. Yeah, we um, have
1: the data when you've ordered pizza before. Yeah, like and to, yeah, seven twenty nine. Yeah, right. yeah, to us, it's hey, more. Up, yeah, to us, it's
0: yeah. more about how do we really promote the human side and the brand side of our business. So making sure that, like, if you saw the people on the other end of the text line, like what they looked like and right. their style, like it completely captures the essence of the brand and also the brand voice and how we communicate. So it's it gives you an opportunity. I think a lot of companies are not doing well at this, which is leveraging, you know, technology to actually help humanize the brand. I think a lot of companies are using it to dehumanize where everything's about automation, lack of personality. Right. Like I don't want robots talking to people, I want people talking to people. Totally. Um in addition to that, like the data is really about just a better conversation. Like if I had a conversation with you, you'd want me to remember at least a portion of that conversation if we chatted again. Right. And if you remembered nothing, you'd be like, "Oh, he didn't really, you know, yeah. He, he didn't really care or totally, she didn't totally. really care. And so that's how we leverage the data, which is not about trying to promote to you, it's more about remembering the conversation that we had so we can kind of pick up where it left off. I think that's a really smart way and thoughtful
1: way you know, to, to get people to want to engage and interact with the brand. We've talked so much about sort of the business approach and sort of looked at this and the calculus behind what you're doing. Like, I think when you're making stuff, you know, whether it's an electric car or you, you got to make sure that product's banging, like how do you, how do, you do that? One thing I know how I can trust you is you said you eat pizza five times a day. Yeah. I don't like to read these things about like um, fast food acquisitions and the CEO is like I eat sweet green seven times a day or seven no. we, seven days a week or whatever. It's like no nah, man, you got to be eating at Wendy's row. Like I gotta I gotta know that you're in the trenches here. How do you do that? How do you make sure the product's popping? You have the philosophy. How do you ma- how do you make sure that the you know the product stays up or level or in front of where what. Well, I, yeah, I'm. I'm a big believer, and it's
0: you know I don't think it's the right thing to sell something that you yourself don't consume like that. There's just a you know a, a lack of authenticity. I think people are eventually going to be able to sniff out. Um, you know, so for me, it's just you. You constantly consume it. I mean, the the cool thing about pizza is the most complicated side of its the like dough, right? Dough inherently will always be acting like you know an ex boyfriend or an ex girlfriend. It's it's just a little bit crazy and and nuanced and complicated but outside of that like there are literally companies you can go to to get like the best tomatoes in you know the united states and all of our ingredients you know come from the united states none of Nothing comes from Italy, but like there literally is, you know, a a plot of land where you get the best tomatoes in Northern California that we buy our tomatoes from, right? We get our cheese from an amazing supplier called Grande in Wisconsin. It's one of the largest independent, you know, cheese purveyors in the country. And they've been in business for 60, 70 years. So the cool thing is it's not that hard to find the quality. It's about how you bake the quality into an actual business model that will work. And so for us, it's just as we've gotten bigger, what we've done that's different than a lot of companies is that we've had more purchasing power. And so we're actually buying higher quality ingredients. And so the pizza consistently is getting better. Yep. Not only does it taste better, but actually feels better because the higher quality ingredients, the less you want to feel like you need a, a nap after you eat right, that right. pizza. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't actually feel if you go to one of the one of the amazing things for people that go to Italy and eat, you know, pizza and pasta. Yeah, they like, feel good. You feel good after. It's like, weird. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that, 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 a lot of that has to do with the, the flour itself right. and where it comes from. But the better the quality of the stuff, the less you're going to feel like you're in a pizza coma yeah. or, or a pasta coma. And that's a big part of what we're trying to do also, which is make pizza a little bit more approachable for lunch for all hours of the day, right? It's lighter, keeps you lighter on your toes, and that's because of the quality of the ingredients. But I'm going to keep consuming it literally almost every single... And it's I don't just eat... You know, I don't just eat and pizza. Yeah. Like I love all. Yeah. yeah. yeah, I love, I had Ben's pizza last night. Uh, I had Ben's pizza the night before that as well. So I've been back to back with Ben's big shout out. But uh, you know, I love, I love New York pizza. I love the New York pizza slice. That's not what you get at and pizza. It's also called and pizza because it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Different flavor profile, different style. Um,
1: But come check us out. You know, there's been so much more attention on alternative diets and veganism, you know, vegetarianism, gluten-free uh you know how do you incorporate that into pizza that you're doing and how are, how do you as a corporate as a corporation like how are you integrating those concerns in your pizza and you know some pizza might just not be for some diets just by nature of what pizza is made of but like how do you how do you approach that yeah
0: I mean issue. it's um it's been a little bit easier for us because we got in in that side of the game, you know, when we first opened is being very thoughtful about people with dietary restrictions uh, or certain health preferences. Um, so we we've always been you know, on sort of the right side of the healthier food movement as it relates. I mean, but again, but when you eating a pizza, you're not eating a salad. You're right? You're so right. it's that. Yeah. But, but we yeah. have, you know, we <laughs> do the gluten-free thing. We do the vegan thing. We've actually been named in Washington, D.C. Outside of winning, you know, multiple you know, best pizza, we've also won best vegetarian. So a lot of the vegetarian and vegan community have gotten behind us because we offer ingredients um, that fit that diet. Yeah and tastes pretty damn good. So it, it actually works. And, and I think you can get a really good pizza. I mean, the gluten the gluten thing is probably the biggest challenge because gluten inherently is what makes, you know, pizza dough or, or, or dough or yeah. bread in general, like, work. <laughs> work, right? That's how you get the rise and that's yeah. how you get the love. But uh, for for us, you know, we do, we're actually rolling out a new gluten-free dough uh, in the next two months that's actually gluten-free and vegan that's delicious, but that took a long time for us because we we make our own dough, but we don't make gluten free dough just right. because of the cross contamination it's complicated. Yeah, um, so have we have a whole kitchen. Yeah, yeah. But, but we we do we have spent the last couple of years you know trying to source and knocking on every door for um, those that make incledi- incredible
1: gluten free. I think we found one that's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this has uh, been live from the bar cart. Michael LaStory here. Michael, how can we follow you? What's the best place uh, to kind of keep up on what A&Pizza and you are doing?
0: At and pizza It's A-N-D pizza. Uh, the ampersand doesn't actually register. A-N-D pizza dot com. You can find me at uh, LaStory. I'm on Instagram, a little more visual than Twitter. so. That's my visual style. culture. Yeah, yeah visual totally. culture. So that's where you
1: can find us. Check us you're, out. You're wearing a, a collaboration. It appears an ampersand. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that on the website. You kind of done, uh, you know, collaborations. It's hot right now. You got to do it. You got to do one. What What is this one?
0: This is actually one we we made ourselves. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, we've been we we started off making all of our own clothes, then doing a lot of brand collabs. But also when you're you know when your brand logo is a, a symbol, that's and yeah yeah like. You can uh, yeah, brand absolutely. collaborations galore. Yeah, yeah. So we have yeah. a lot of, a lot of cool things we'll be announcing in 2019 with some amazing entrepreneurs uh, to do some cool stuff with. Right on. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for, for having fun. me. Yeah. This is 1:37 PM. If you want to own the future, start this minute live from the bar cart is a gallery media production.